You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, and we're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And I am very excited for a guest today who is Paula Courtney, the president of the Verde Group. And we'll learn more about her in just a moment. But first, a few quick announcements before we dive into our amazing interview. If you've got a story about amazing customer service you'd like to share, or you have a question you'd like me to answer, you can send those to me on any of my social media channels. I'm everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If it's a question, remember to use the hashtag AskShep, and I'll answer the questions either right there on this show or on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, and you can go to beamazing.tv and watch episodes there as well. We always have great segments with amazing guest interviews. You don't want to miss it. So let's jump into the interview today. Very excited because Paula Courtney is the president of the Verde Group, and that is a market research consultancy uh, that specializes in helping companies do amazing things to improve their customer service, their retention, their loyalty. And I first came across uh, this company. I'd heard about them, but I read a recent article in Harvard Business Review. And by the way, as soon as you mentioned Harvard Business Review, oh yeah, Harvard. That's, I just like saying that I actually read things from them because it makes me sound better. Anyway, read the article, downloaded some special reports, and here is Paula on the show with us today to talk about all of that. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chef. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited. And uh, this is the real deal. Uh, first of all, you have been doing a ton of research in the area of customer experience. Give us a short little background, kind of summarizing what you do. I know I told everybody what the company does, but you probably can do a little bit better justice to that. Sure, uh, absolutely. So the Verdi Group has been around for over two decades. We work globally across a variety of uh, industry sectors from retail to pharmaceutical to manufacturing uh, to telecommunications and essentially we solve one fundamental business problem or business challenge for many organizations. And that is, where do I need to invest in my customer experience in order to maximize my return on investment? So essentially, how do I quantify the experiences that customers have when they do business with me? How do I know, you know, where do I need to invest and where do I, and how do I prioritize service improvement initiatives? So essentially, we work with organizations to not only measure the experience, but quantify the financial impact of poor experiences and how they can hurt your business and where and what you need to do in order to mitigate those. All right. So I'm going to go there first, which was actually going to be my last topic if we had time. And that is, uh, you know, how do you determine the ROI? And this is important because many times both you and I are asked, how do we go to the C-suite and convince them to invest money in the concepts of customer service and experience? Because sometimes it's a, a software that you're going to use in a contact center. Sometimes it's a process that needs to be developed that's uh, very expensive to implement. How do you prove it? You know, I think it's that's a wonderful question. And we agree with you that in order to get the attention of the C-suite, you need to speak their language. And the language of the C-suite is typically dollars and cents. So it's one thing to say, hey, you know, 
improve your service. You're going to get happy customers and happy customers, you know, they might buy from you again. And hey, you know, there's a direct link between the experiences that you deliver and hopefully the financial payback that you get from customers. But often it's a loose link and it's a stretch. And most organizations aren't able to draw that connection. So we, we then turn to social science. And basically, if you think about the cus- how you make money, how does a business make money? It makes money when customers make decisions about their behavior. And it's essentially that customers choose to do business with you. They buy more from you or they buy less from you. So the behaviors that customers exhibit in the market are what drive your revenue for the most part, unless you're a not-for-profit, clearly, then you've got other drivers of, of money. But essentially, it's when customers make decisions. So then the next question is, well, how do customers make decisions? And what influences those decisions? What influences those behaviors? And most organizations measure the connection between a customer's attitude and their behavior. So if you have happy customers, maybe they're gonna behave by buying more from you. Unfortunately, by the time you measure the attitude that a customer has, you're still looking in the rear view mirror. It's a history lesson. An attitude is, is really a cognitive expression of an experience. Now, experiences are observable. They're actionable. You can actually change an experience. That's the thing that creates the attitude in the first place. So what Verity Group does is we connect the experience with the behavior, the experience, the thing that's binary in in nature, that's not a value tip, it's not a scalar thing. You know, did you wait in line? Did you get served? You know, was there... Uh, you know, a problem with the product. So these are things that either happened or didn't. And what's most important is understanding how those experiences influence the behaviors that your customers take, the decisions that they take as a result of those experiences. And if you can make that connection through a measurement of some sort, then all of a sudden you're able to discern that certain experiences actually do influence behaviors. And then there are some experiences that have no influence on market behavior, but create a lot of noise in an organization. We call that the squeaky wheel. So customers who might contact you and report all sorts of problems or issues, we tend to fix those because we hear about those. But if you don't understand whether those experiences actually influence that customer's behavior, you might be spending money in the wrong place. So there is a science to understanding which experiences matter most to the behaviors that do drive revenue and profit. Wow, there's, there's a lot there. I'm, my head is swarming with comments or questions. Uh, but back to the original question of, so you go to the C-suite, you, 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 you're measuring behaviors and the behaviors that we're looking at are, you know, we have a, let's just make up some numbers. Uh, out of every 100 customers, we lose 20. And we regain those 20 plus a few more on a regular basis, allowing us to grow year over year. So we're going to call that 20% churn. Would that be a safe way to put it? What if we eliminated, uh, Not you, you probably can never eliminate 100% of it, but what if we got that number 20% down to 14%? What would right. that 6% mean to us financially? That's what we have to prove to the C-suite. And most organizations do understand 
the economics of that 1% churn, of that 1% loss, how, how much is that worth to that organization? Simply on a you know, annualized basis, you can figure that out, or a lifetime basis if you want. If you know the average lifespan of a customer, you know what the average value that they bring to you, and you do the math to say, how many are we losing on an annual basis? That's a lot of money. And now, if we were to link and say, you know what? When customers uh, experience the problem of unable to ship a product, uh, you know, or the return policy, uh, that you have is confusing or not clear or not customer friendly. 20% of customers don't want to buy from you again. In fact, they won't buy from you again. All of a sudden, you can monetize that return policy. Our return policy is costing us 5% churn potentially. Or you pick another problem, you know, 10% um, of customers who experience a problem with uh, a long lineup at the checkout counter. You know, maybe 5% of those, they don't come back. They don't want to come back. Or they seem to spend less when they do come and shop with us, as an example. All of a sudden, you can now quantify the cost of that specific problem. How much is it worth fixing? Is it a $2 million problem? Is it a $5 million problem? Are some stores, if you're a retailer, more likely to cause those problems than others? Now, all of a sudden, you've got a very specific uh, you know, uh, initiative that you can undertake for that particular store. Maybe there's a demographic segment that tends to experience the long lineup. Maybe it's the, the mom that shops on a Saturday with her kids in tow. You know, she's more sensitive to that problem and she's less likely to come back. So now all of a sudden you have a very uh, specific line of sight on who's experiencing this problem, when is it occurring, and how much is it costing us? If you have that information, you know, the initiative and the action required to mitigate it becomes more obvious. Now, I know you work across many different industries. The examples you're giving me now are primarily retail or frontline focused. I just want to emphasize to the audience that your customer today, if you're in the B2B business, you might be a company that's selling a million dollar piece of equipment to a company and don't think for a moment that they don't think like a consumer, even though it's a B2B transaction. They're gonna compare whatever the experience is to whatever their favorite experience is. And many times it is a consumer-based interaction. Maybe they love that store that doesn't have lines. Maybe they love um, you know, the online company. I won't mention their name, but their initial is Amazon. But <laughs> that, that makes life easy for us, right? But that's the point, and I think we all need to take note. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about digital transformation because I believe that is on everybody's mind. This is Amazing Business Radio. We are talking with Paula Courtney, president of the Verde Group. Don't go away. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert. And I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll Be Back strategy. 
course, there's much, much more. The book ships out in September, but purchase it today and you'll get instant access to the ebook at no extra charge. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio talking with the amazing Paula Courtney of the Verde Group. Um, digital transformation is on everybody's mind. And the first thing I want to ask you is if you would succinctly describe what digital transformation is in today's world of any type of business. It could be B2B, B2C. I think that's obvious to me, but to the rest of the people listening here, I want them to hear it out of your lips. And then let's talk about that for a few minutes. Sure. So digital transformation is something that we're hearing a lot about in so many boardrooms and so many organizations. And simply put, it is the integration of digital technology in all areas of the business. And it's really more than just implementing technology. It's really about rethinking your business processes and thinking about how they need to be changed in order to add greater value to customers. So that's quite simply what it means. And often, you know, another word that we hear a lot and it's overused, but innovation. And when we rethink how we need to change our business process to introduce technology, we often have to innovate. We have to think differently. We can't just say, let's replicate this business process, but instead create an automated way of doing the same thing that we've done before. I really think that technology can force organizations to think differently about how they can serve their customers. And customers are demanding of digital tools. You know, the world has become digitized in so many ways. And there's so many legacy industries that are sort of really playing catch up, whether it's financial services or insurance, even retail, we're all playing catch up on how can we make it easy for customers to find us, to access us, to buy from us, to consume our products and services. And, and how do we do it cost effectively? Because let's face it, you know, a lot of technology and the introduction of technology in the lives of our customers and in our business is often, you know, the result of wanting to reduce costs, wanting to streamline, get things out to customers faster. And sometimes we fail. We might get them faster, but we don't necessarily make it easy for customers. So another sort of big theme at play in this whole discussion of digital transformation is how do we make our customers' lives easier? How do we get them our goods, our services faster in an uncluttered fashion? So that's, to me, that's digital transformation is really about rethinking your business and not just introducing and slapping technology in every business process, but really thinking about how to make it easier for customers to do business with you. Yeah, I like that. So here is the point though. Uh, you said make it easier for customers to do business with us because I believe there's many 
companies out there that become enamored with the technology and think it's going to be great and don't take into full consideration what that customer experience is going to be. Uh, my dentist, for example, would prefer I no longer call the front desk of, of, their, of the dental office to set an appointment. They want me to go online. So rather than just tell me to do it, they email and say, hey, it's time to make your next appointment. Uh, actually, most of the time they make me set me up my appointment six months in advance. Like I really know what I'm going to be doing in six months, right? But then they send me this uh, email that says, please confirm. And I can go online, check the appointment, confirm it. Uh, I can change it. I can do everything. And that's a, a, such a basic example of a digital tool uh, that actually, once they teach me how to use it, makes my experience with the office better. You know, and there are examples that do the opposite. So yeah, think about the supermarket checkout, self-checkout. So you think, well, isn't this better for customers? They don't have to wait in line to check out. Well, actually they do because now you've created a lineup for the self-checkout. And now the customer is doing all the work. First of all, they have to learn how to use the scanner. And if, oh my God, there's no barcode on your bananas, you know, you're going to have to find the banana. You're going to have to weigh it. And God forbid, you should put more than three or four products or put your purse down because it's going to think it's a grocery item and all alarm will be flashing. Then you're going to have to wait for the attendant to come over. And how is any of that easy? How is any of that faster for the customer? So we lose sight of the customer sometimes when we try to create too much automation and introduce too much technology. So what problem are we solving for the customer when we introduce the self-checkout? The idea was we don't want customers to wait in line, but really we want to hire fewer cashiers and get the customer. So we're shifting the burden of our labor model on the customer instead of ourselves. And we've created a new source of friction for yep. the customer. And I think that's a beautiful example of how digital transformation or you know the use of digital tools can actually go sideways and create more harm than good in terms of your customer's loyalty and their intent to want to come back there's only two cashiers your only choice is to use a self checkout and it's painful so you know amazon had it right when they you know did the store that you walk in grab your products and everything is you know self scanning so super easy now not to say that that model has taken off or that that model has actually been successful, but their idea is simplify and make it easy. And, I, and, I, and the idea is thinking about the customer. So I think that would be my counsel to companies is put your business processes in the eyes of the customer before you do it in the eyes of your bottom line. Right. So I love that example. There is a company, and I believe it's in France. I wrote about them in my book, The Convenience Revolution. It's called, it is in France, uh, Monoprix. And oh, yes, I know them. Mm -hmm. They tried to compete against Amazon and they couldn't come up with the technology. So I can't say it in French, but it's basically you don't have to have an app to go shopping. So put away your phone and shop. It's that simple. But here's what they do to compete because they don't want you to wait in line. You basically fill up your shopping cart with whatever it is that you're wanting to buy. And there's always going to be a line. They say, leave the shopping cart there. One of our team members will put it through the line. And then uh, they deliver the groceries to your home. 
and that that's their version of competing. So even if you don't have that technology that allows you to do that, it's, it's a great way. Uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left. I wanna jump to some of the amazing data that you have out there that is available to us. Um, a, a most recent report, uh, share with us, number one, what that report is, and number two, two or three findings that we might find interesting in the next two or three minutes. I know I'm putting you on the spot because this was not part of our question and answer, but I'm staring at uh, you know your wow report and everything else, and they're so good. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much. So I think the, you know, there's so much uh, bad news in retail today. So what we wanted to do is deliver some good insights. So we did a study with the Wharton School of Business, the Baker Retailing Center, specifically to understand what are the elements of a wow experience? Again, the study was specifically focused on the retail shopper. And what we learned is that delivering a wow experience can have you know, a tremendous lift on repurchase intent, anywhere from 12 to 58%. And so we looked and studied across a broad range of retail sub-verticals. So for example, we looked at mass merchandisers. Who's a mass merchandiser? That's like Walmart and Amazon. We looked at specialty retailer. Who's a specialty retailer? That could be the Gap or Old Navy or Victoria's Secret. It could be a, you know, a shoe store. We looked at department stores, a Macy's, a Saks. And we looked at category killers, which are you know, the best buys in the Home Depots of the world. So we looked across all of these retail types and what we were looking for is, are there three or four things that really universally define wow and have significant lift and repurchase intent if you as a retailer deliver it? And the number one universal, so one experience that is common across all of those retail types was hassle-free customer support. So the second key point, and there's a few or other you know, shared experiences that really matter to the majority of those you know, consumers that shop across those specific retailers, is to have a frictionless experience from start to finish, to have a clean and organized store environment if you have a brick and mortar presence, to have, you know, pay attention um, to detail in how you package your products. And lastly, that you have worry-free, hassle-free returns. So those were the common wow experiences. So what's interesting about those experiences is they're not exceptional or like, oh my God, wow, I never thought of that. So what's universal about the study findings is that you know, customers, if you really wanna wow them, you don't have to do anything exceptional. You just have to deliver on the tenets of your value proposition consistently and all the time. So that was the fundamental takeaway from that study is wow is deliver on the basics, but do it all the time. Do it consistently. That will wow your customers because there's so much friction in the shopping experience. There's so much friction in every business. So eliminating friction is delivering wow. Yep. That I mean, I'll, I'm going to send you my book, The Convenience Revolution, because that's what it's about. Is uh, and the point you're making is so important that wow, and I always say, amazement is within the grasp of everyone. It's just being, and this is the word you just use, consistent. It's consistent. It's predictable, and it's always the tiniest bit above average. It's expected that you would have an easy return policy. 
And when they get it, they go, it was easy. That's great. Because you want people to say, oh, they're always so easy to work with. They're always friendly. They're always helpful. Uh, they always take care of me, even when there's a problem. The word always followed by something good. All right. Exactly. Final question. And uh, is there, and it's the one thing question, everybody that listens to the show knows this is coming. What's the one final nugget you would like to share with us today? And I'm sure you have 25 of them, but I'm only going to let you do one. I think it's for, you know, businesses to remember that for your customers, the last best experience they had anywhere is the minimum expectation for service they have where they shop everywhere and where they do business everywhere. So it doesn't matter what your business is, your customers are comparing you to the last best experience they had. And that's your benchmark. Right. And it, if you, and as I was talking about earlier, you could be in manufacturing, you're still going to be compared to the shoe store down the street or the uh, restaurant or even a big company like Amazon, if that's what you feel the best experience is. So, Correct. Awesome, awesome, awesome information. We could talk for hours. And if I if I can indulge you to come back in the future and have another uh, experience with the Verde Group president, Paula Courtney, I hope our listeners would appreciate that. Alex, I know they would. I hope you would consider it. Thank you so much, Shep. It was my pleasure. And I would be privileged to come back to your show. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. That wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Days like today are why we call this amazing because Paula, you were amazing for us. You were awesome. You shared great insights and we will be back next week with another interview. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.